that is our heart's desire. If we can help you in any way, let us know. And guests, I do want to welcome you here. And do fill out that guest um, connect card, whether you're here for baptism, whatever the reason, and any prayer requests you have, faith family members, you do the same because we would love to lift you up to the Lord in prayer. Well, let's dive in this morning. We've been in a series called Authority. The title of the series is Authority, and this is the third week that we've actually been in this series, and we started out in the beginning talking about literally the authority of Jesus Christ is where all of our authority comes from. And what I want to do in this series and accomplish in this series is, is that we'll see that He is the ultimate authority. And when we submit ourselves to His authority, then all the other relationships in our life, God will begin to, and He can bless. He can't bless them otherwise until we literally submit and yield to His authority. And that's what the concept is. And we started out of the gate saying, well, why is He worthy to have such authority Himself? And why should we submit to His authority? And we talked about the eternality of Jesus Christ that He always has been. The Bible literally says, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so he is the one that we uh, literally, it it would be wise on our part to submit ourselves to his authority so that literally he can work out his plan for our life because the Bible's clear that he has a plan for our life, for every person he's created. God has a plan for your life. And literally that plan uh, will come to fruition in your life if you continue to walk in faithful obedience to God. So when God spoke through Jeremiah, when the Spirit of God spoke through Jeremiah in the Old Testament, and he said, I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you a hope and a future, all of that, he was speaking it to a context of people who were walking away from God and walking in disobedience, and he's trying to give God's Word in a prophetic way to, to stir them back towards following, chasing after God, but doing it passionately. And many had become settled, and uh, many had even said, I'm not even settled uh, in being a listener or a doer. I'm just going the other direction. I'm going the ways of the world in disobedience, and we can never find God's plan. Now, we see a lot of that when we look around today, uh, literally, of people who seem to be chasing the things of the world more than they're chasing the things of God, more than they're chasing the kingdom of God. Matthew 6, says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And so to stay on track, we have to literally seek the kingdom of God, be reminded of that, because there is another kingdom. There is another kingdom in this world. Uh, There is another king of this world. The Bible says that that is Satan, Lucifer, who was kicked out of heaven. And so he is um, literally wanting you to bow down and worship him. Now, none of us would say, well, I would never, you know, uh, none of us would would say, well, I'm going to bow down and worship Satan. Well, some people do that, right? There's some satanic worshipers, and they do some really weird and odd stuff. But most of us would say, there is no way I would bow down and worship Satan. But we do it all the time when we worship anything more than we worship God. When we chase after anything more passionately or with more passion than we do God or the kingdom of God or the things of God, then literally uh, God said, you're either for me or you're what? Against me. You're either for me, you're either for me, you're either all in or you're against me. And so literally yielding to that authority is where we begin to see uh, Jesus do what he wants to do in our life. And the last time that we met together, two weeks ago, before our church conference, uh, we talked about his established authority and his exercise authority. And we saw that Jesus in his time on earth, especially during his three and a half years of ministry, we saw his exercised authority that, wait a minute, this man is clearly from God. And not only is this man clearly from God, this man is God. He's God in the flesh. And so he established by exercising, he established his authority. And then God's word establishes his authority and is the blueprint and the guidebook for us to align our lives with and say, okay, 
If he is the ultimate authority, then I need to submit myself to his authority and live my life for him and for his glory. And so we talked about literally uh, uh, that he's worthy of being presented, and that's where we're going to pick up today as we talk about in message three, Jesus Christ and the extension of his authority, okay? Because he, he, notice I said he only ministered, his ministry where God set him apart to minister was only like a three, three and a half year period in that time frame. And so even though he lived, um, you know, to be uh, over a 30 year old man, God gave him a very brief ministry here on this earth and God accomplished much through that. So God's plan was is for Jesus to leave. So when he gathered his disciples together and John gives us this account on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit where he says, let not your hearts be troubled, John 14. You believe in God, believe also in me, declaring his deity. In my father's house are many mansions, many condos in the Greek there. If it were not so, I would have told you, behold, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. But until then, it doesn't go on to say this, but this is literally the context of the Bible. But until then, he says, I'm going away and you're going to stay. I'm going away and you're going to stay. And so that kind of wigged them out. And the reason it wigged them out is, is because they had seen Jesus do things that they knew they couldn't do in and of themselves. They had seen Jesus walk on water by himself without ever getting fearful and sinking like Peter did when he took his eyes off Jesus. And, and they had seen Jesus perform miracles. They would seen Jesus cast out demons and legions of demons when they tried, and they couldn't do it in their own power because they weren't connected to the Father, submitted to the ultimate authority, even through fasting and prayer, that Jesus was in his seasons and times of prayer. So Jesus said, I'm going away. But he said this. He said, but I'm, I'm sending. I'm sending someone very special. I'm sending a person that's going to walk and be inside of you, although you can't see them because he is spirit. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to walk with you. And my work, my, my work will be accomplished through you because the Holy Spirit will be in you. But you've got to be my mouthpiece. You've got to be my hands and feet. And that's the takeaway today as we talk about the extension of his authority. And the takeaway is this. It has always been God's heart to use man to fulfill his plan. That's always been the heartbeat of God. All the way back to Genesis with Adam and Eve, it's always been God's heart to use man. So when Adam and Eve sinned and didn't run to God, instead they run away from God expressing guilt rather than conviction, and they hid themselves, God still had a heartbeat to use man to fulfill his plan. And he came and he clothed them, and he came and he taught them that there had to then be a blood sacrifice um, to come back in communion with a holy God, and that sacrifice could not be half-hearted sacrifice it couldn't be that you said well i don't want to give him my best um lamb i want to give him uh this one because it's got spots or blemishes i went no he said you bring me your best sacrifice and we think about that word sacrifice and we literally see um this concept this first key that i'm going to give you about as we submit to his authority is that we have a master worthy of ownership okay our master that is giving and releasing this authority to us and telling us to submit to his authority, he is worthy of owning me. He's worthy of owning you because he did something that I couldn't do for you. He did something you couldn't do for me, and he did something that no one else literally could or would do for us. And what is that? He bought you. He shed his blood. Look at Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, 
in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Now, he's speaking here in Acts. Luke is writing this, and he's speaking to um, basically elders, overseers, and pastors, and he's saying, guard them carefully, guard them as a flock. There's always a shepherd-sheep analogy through Scripture, and Jesus was the chief shepherd. And he says, take great care of the church of God, which he obtained with his own, everybody say, blood. So he obtained with his own blood. We see a master worthy of ownership because literally Jesus bought us, the Bible says, with his blood. He bought us with his own blood, literally. And no other blood could do what his blood could do. He gave his life. He is worthy of ownership. He's worthy of owning me. And so when the Spirit of God tugs upon your heart and you and some of you you responded to salvation you responded like many of these did and then you gave uh, outward evidence through baptism and all those things you literally were responding to a drawing on your heart not to just get to that wonderful place that he's prepared for you but you were responding to literally a calling a setting apart a leaving an old creation becoming a new creation to live passionately for jesus christ and to live a life worthy for him and so we have to look and say, what is our response to his ownership? What is our response to it? Like, how am I responding? If he's the owner of my life, is it apparent in how I live my life? Is it apparent? Is it more than words? James said, be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. Is, is, is there fruit? Am I bearing fruit that's literally worthy of repentance? Am I showing things in my life that, that show alignment to the one who died for me and shed his blood for me? So our response to his ownership should be to glorify him literally with our bodies, our entire life. 1 Corinthians six twenty. look at this with me if you will. It says, you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You were bought with a price, glorify God in your body. Now, I have found in general that most people, and just about 99.9% of the people, let's just go ahead and say it, 100% of people who are human, all right, and that's all, right, all humans, have a problem submitting to authority at some place in their life. They just have a problem with it, submitting to authority. And I believe that's one reason that we see such chaos in our life personally. I believe it's why we see chaos in our marriages, if you're married. And I believe it's why we see chaos in the family unit, because we're unwilling to submit to authority. Now, where does that unwillingness come from? That unwillingness comes from our sinful nature. That unwillingness started with Lucifer, who would not bow down to God. He wanted to be like God or higher than God. And God kicked him out of heaven and kicked a third of his demons out of heaven. And so since then, there's been this battle and there's been this war uh, for, for over man, over man's soul, over man's mind, over man's heart. So that the enemy could come and he could get us. But Jesus says, I've come and I have bought you with a price now. Glorify God in your body. Now what Jesus didn't say is Jesus didn't say, I've bought you with a price. Come get your ticket and then live your life for yourself. Or live your life like you want to live it. He, nowhere do you find that in Scripture. Yet we see many people apparently trying to do that. We see many people who said, yeah, I do, God, I do the God thing, and yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church, and I go, you know, not really understanding what a commitment to deny self, take up cross, and follow Jesus daily is really about. And so what we're going to see in our time and in the time in the future, I'm very concerned about our future. I'm very concerned about our country. In fact, God's put a, in my spirit a message to share on November the 6th, two days before the, what I believe is going to be the most important election to ever take place in this country. 
that will determine the future of a country, that will literally set the landscape if it goes in a negative way for the next 30, 40 years. And I'm going to be talking about that, so I encourage you to be here on November the 6th if you are concerned uh, about our country. And I want to cry out to God that we would have his hand back on our country. And so we, we, we say, God, you own me. My glorification and the way I glorify you is to be with my entire body. So he says, I saved you for you to serve. I saved you to set you apart. I saved you for you to share. I saved you to be my hands and feet. This is how you glorify God in your body. So let's do an honest evaluation this morning of ourselves, okay? Who or what owns you? Just ask yourself that question and let the Spirit speak to you. Who or what owns you? Who or what do you serve? And who or what do you invest in? Who or what do you worship? You say, I'm worshiping God. Are you? Because worship is more than a song. It's more than occupying a a seat, sitting in a service. It's a lifestyle of serving and living daily for your owner who's worthy to own you and own to me, Jesus Christ. Now, Romans 12, 1 and 2, okay? This is a verse that tells us that worship is more than a song. And you guys know how much I enjoy singing and exalting God and getting in the presence of God and not listening to the enemy and, uh, and, and, and worried about what people think about me. I don't care what people think about me. I care more about what Jesus means to me and who he is to me. And so, therefore, I'm going to exalt him. I'm going to exalt him above all others, more than all others, be obedient to the Holy Spirit. And so this lifestyle that we're talking about, look what is said here on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So he's telling us, present yourself as a living sacrifice. And when you think about sacrifice, and I'll get to verse 20 in a minute, because verse 20 is where we see people going off track. But when we get back to the sacrifice, all the way back to the garden, even all the way to the life of Abraham, when God called Abraham to literally sacrifice what was most important to him, to lay Isaac on an altar. If, 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 if a lot of people in the church today that call themselves Christians would have been Abraham, they would have half-heartedly done that sacrifice. They wouldn't have laid him on the altar. They had to look for every other way. They said, God, I'll, I'll serve you and I'll do this for you today. I'll show up at the temple and I'll serve and I'll help out there. But, Lord, I'm not laying everything down for you on the altar. And that even got to the point where they would have laid themselves down before they would have been obedient to pass the test that God gave them to lay their own son, to lay what was closest to them down on the altar. It would have been a half-hearted sacrifice. And we see that all across the world today. We see it across the church in general, this half-hearted, this partial commitment. And God is calling us to be all in. So he says, literally, it's your it's holy and acceptable to God. It's your spiritual worship. Now look at this. Look at this verse 2 here. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So what this means is, is that we have people who, they're, they're not even in the will of God because they're not daily living their life to glorify God in their body. They're not looking at their body as the temple of God. They're not walking and yielding and submitting themselves to, as we've talked about before in our Holy Spirit series, internal takeover, to the Holy Spirit. And God's trying to get us back and say, look, you are my children. You are my child. I have bought you with a price. Now glorify me. Get out of Egypt. Get out of the wilderness in your life. Get that marriage turned around. Let God turn that marriage around in a healthy, God-honoring way where you are loving her like Christ loved the church, where you are submitting to his uh, spiritual uh, leadership and submitting to him as the man 
in that marriage. And so talking about marriage, that's the next area that we see is not only a master worthy of ownership, but we see a marriage worth protecting. It's a serious deal. This relationship between Jesus and his church, he literally, the Bible compares it to a marriage, to a groom and to a bride. And as believers, we are the bride of Jesus Christ. And so it's worth protecting. You say, how do you know it's worth protecting? Where did Jesus, where did Jesus fight for this marriage? Where did he as the groom fight for this marriage? Well, he fought for it all the way from the beginning. Eternity passed and fought with uh, 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 Lucifer over it, literally as the Trinity was there. And then he fought for it by uh, humbling himself and, and having this mind that we're told to have, which was in Christ Jesus, who did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself to the place of a bondservant. That was a method of fighting, was humility. And some of the greatest growth that will ever come in your life and my life is learning humility and learning to humble ourselves in a way of humility, that that is a strength, that is a great strength. It's just like meekness. Meekness is not weakness, and in the Sermon on the Mount, we are told to be meek, and so there's a great strength in that. But here's a verse I want to give you where he fought literally uh, for his marriage and his bride, and uh, it's in Acts 9-4. He literally speaks to Saul. Saul was a man, and in Acts chapter 9, we see his conversion experience, but Saul was a man who was persecuting Christians. In fact, one great Christian that lived for the Lord, Stephen, was being stoned and being persecuted, like I believe many of us will be persecuted in this country, for standing for our faith. And, and I want to remind you that every one of the apostles except John died a martyr's death on the Isle of Patmos. Is that what you signed up for when you said, I'll follow you, deny myself, take up my cross and follow you? Or did you sign up for convenient Christianity, American Christianity? Did I sign up for convenient Christianity? Did I sign up for just a free get-out-of-hell card and then live my life the way I want to and go to church every once in a while and watch everybody else be the body of Christ? That's what's a deep question. It's a deep question I believe every person needs to ask themselves as we look at the relationship and submitting to this authority and calling us back into line. We need a, we need a hard message today to call us as a true church back into line because this is a marriage worth protecting. Look at Acts 9, 4 here and what he says here. He sa it says, And falling to the ground, Saul, that is, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting, what does that say? Who? Me? Why are you persecuting me? Now, at this point, Jesus is no longer here on earth. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And I can assure you at the right hand of the Father, he personally was not being dominated by this guy named Saul. But he shows his relationship to the bride as the groom when he says, why are you persecuting me? Identifying, closely connecting us as our protector, as the groom. Remember, a groom's role over a bride is, is literally to pursue, protect, secure. And that's the heartbeat of God in this relationship, spiritually speaking, over his bride, over the church, over the body. And he says, why are you persecuting me? You're coming against me, and I don't have time to go into the whole story, but the bottom line is Saul was changed to Paul, and God used him in a mighty way because he transformed him. And he literally called him on the correct way and the correct path. As I think about that, I think, good God, would you absolutely meet some of these terrorists on the Damascus Road or the American Road, and would you literally turn them upside down for your glory and realize that they're persecuting you when they come against Christians where the real battle's at? Would you help them to see they're persecuting you? God, would you take some of these liberals, God, that have no problem with murdering, 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 murdering millions of babies and have no problem with what you called unholy and flaunting it and just literally pushing it right through our face and pushing it right through this country? 
and doing everything to rip and strip the bedrock of what this country was founded on, God, to seek and look. You, our own law came from the law of the Ten Commandments, God. Would you literally take some of them and would you meet them, God? Would you blind them? Would you lay them flat on their back, God, and show them who you are and that they're literally coming against your church, God, and what you're doing? Lord, would you do that? Because that's what we need in America. That's what we need. And you know how God says he's going to do it? He says, I'm not going to do it like I did with Saul. I'm going to do it through you being a light in a dark place, stopping chasing the things of the world, stopping looking like the world, walking after me, honoring me, glorifying God in your body, looking more like Christ than you look like the world. And so a marriage worth protecting, and notice this, another area, a membership that makes up the body of Christ, because literally the church, the ecclesia, literally is what church means, and it's literally the called out ones, but the called out ones to go to do the work of God to get outside the four walls, first they have to become literally the body the body of Christ. He says, you are my body. I'm the head. I have a reason. I have a purpose. In his high priestly prayer, Father, don't take them out of the world. Leave them in the world. Why? So they can sing Kumbaya and grow deep in their theology? No. Leave them in the world for those who have yet to come, God, that they can be a light for them, God. God, put in their heart a passion for for me and a passion for those that don't know me, God, that is greater than the passion for themselves, God. Remove selfishness out of their heart. So that's a question we all need to ask ourselves. Am I a selfish person? Are you a selfish person? Are you selfish? I think if you get honest, you'll find I'm pretty selfish. Now, some might try to be pharisaical and say, no, I'm, not, I'm really not that selfish. Well, your neighbor down the street on their way to hell thinks you're pretty selfish because they've lived by you for 15 years and you've never told them about this great man who has the power to change their life. You've never shared with that person on the ball team that plays ball with your kids that doesn't know Jesus about how what God can do for them in their life. You've never offered to serve them. You've never offered to serve It seems pretty selfish. Or maybe you're that person who you come and pat yourself on the back and occupy a padded seat, but watch everybody else do the majority of the workload in serving in the body of Christ. It's just a form of selfishness is all it is. So what do we need to do? We need to, if we're a true believer, we need to fall passionately in love with Jesus Christ. And other people who don't know him, they need to literally die to chasing the things of the world, chasing dead-end avenues, that put them on dead-end avenues and dead-end things, and literally pursue God passionately and say, God, use me in the time I have on this earth for your glory. That's what makes up a membership that makes up the body of Christ. Ephesians 1, 22 through 23 says this, And he put all things under his feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church. So God put all things in his authority under the feet of Jesus, who came to us in humanity, in human form, the incarnation, and head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We are a membership that makes up the body of Christ, the people. We are the church, and we're also a movement that ministers as the body of Christ. And so when Jesus extended his authority and sent the Holy Spirit, he didn't, leave, he didn't leave it to a degree where the Holy Spirit would uh, be the mouthpiece. He left it where the Holy Spirit would be inside us, and we would be the mouthpiece, and we would be the hands, and we would be the feet, and we would have a wilderness. He didn't leave when Jesus established the church. And let me remind you, there's only two institutions God ordained. The first was the family. The second was the church. And no two greater institutions are under greater attack in this country than today. And so that's what he ordained. And he ordained, he ordained us to be the church. Now, we're going to find out in this country. And I'm praying for revival. I'm praying for, uh, you know, kind of a, a one, one hope, one last hope. God, give us one, one more opportunity, God, 
to turn this, turn this country around, God, that we would humble ourselves. God, give us that is what I'm praying for. But can I tell you something? Regardless of what happens in November and regardless of what happens in the next 30 or 40 years and regardless if it does go the way of where our religious liberties are taken away from us, can I tell you something? The church is going to shine brighter than she shined in my lifetime during that time. She's going to shine brighter. Why? Because the church has always shined bright and flourished under persecution. Because God wants to know who's for him. You're either for him or you're against him. And so literally, I believe in this country, we'll see a lot of church houses cleared out. We'll see a lot of churches cut. We, we see them nowadays, you know, where people are cleared out. If it's convenient, they'll be there. If it's not, they won't. It's all about them. It's all about their convenience. And we'll see it all across this land. When the persecution increases, we'll find out, as I've said before, who are the American Christians and who are the Christian Americans. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. Because only the Christian Americans will survive and will last because of their faithfulness of the one who shed his blood. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm telling you that an American Christian who literally prioritizes American and the kingdom of this country over God's kingdom and God's country, and they live a selfish life, there's no way they'll stand in the face of true persecution. They won't do it. But the true Christian American that aligns himself with the name Christian and wears it in honor and humility, linking back to the church at Antioch and the people who were sacrificing and glorifying God by giving of themselves, by not withholding what was God and bringing him what was his, and worshiping him as a true uh, living sacrifice with their body and being all in, not part-time in, are the ones who will make it in the last days. Many will run, many will flee, many will flee, but the true church will rise and stand. And so we need to be the true church. You, the laity, need to be willing to say, God, use me. I'm a member of the body, God. I'm a member, God, of this movement and a minister of your body. Look at Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to do all the work while everybody else sat back and said, entertain me. It's not what it says, is it? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip the saints to serve. To equip the saints to share. To equip the saints to reach those who are in darkness and lost. Why? For the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to, everybody say, grow up. Grow up. Mm, that's painful, isn't it? To grow up in maturity in every way in every way, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part, look at this, when each part, you're a part, ma'am, if you're a believer. Sir, you're a part. If you're a believer, you're a part. 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 If you're when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Here's what he said to Peter, because we see in Peter's life a man go from, I'll do anything for you, Jesus, to walking in his own power and authority and not knowing when to leave his sword in, pulling his sword out, and in his own spirit, wasn't the spirit of God, and Jesus said, put it away, healed the man's ear, 
We see Peter, I'll never deny you, yet he did do exactly what Jesus said. So we see Peter in this process growing in his sanctification, growing, passionately falling more and more in love with Jesus, not less in love with Jesus. What's wrong with that? Why is it so many people who are Christ followers seem as their journey goes on in faith that it seems more are falling less in love with him than more passionately in love with him? That's interesting. How does that look in your life? How does that look in my life? I have to ask myself that question. Am I falling less in love with Jesus? As I grow in my years of being a Christian, am I more passionate about serving him? Am I passionate at all about serving him? Or am I just complacent? What does that look like for you, friend? What does that look like for me? And last but not least, I give you this. A mandate that is the only hope for the world is what we see in the extension of his authority. A mandate that's the only hope for the world. I promise you, the next political candidate is not going to solve all the problems in our country. And I believe everybody would amen that, right? Because we know, we know the gospel, the church, the kingdom of God is the only hope for the world. We know it's the only hope. And I really believe this. I believe that if the church historically had been who God had called her to be, we would not have to suffer the devastation and be humbled the way that we're going to see devastation in our land and in our country and humility for forsaking God, for chasing the things of the world, for neglecting God. But I want to encourage you. You said, man, that sounds bad. But I want to take you back and encourage you. You just be faithful. You just make sure that if you need to return to your first love, that you return to your first love. You make sure you return to your first love. The church in Ephesus is a picture of the church today. Is man, she was doing church. Everybody was showing up, greeting everybody, talking about the whatever, the games or whatever, you know, and, and, and doing everything. But it was just out of formalism, out of tradition, out of the justified conscience. People really not passionate about serving Jesus. He said, oh, you're still doing the church thing. But you all look like one another. You're only coming for your convenience. You're not burdened about anybody else that's out there around you that doesn't know Jesus. You're just packaging it all in in a selfish way. You know what he said to that church? I believe it's a message for the church. I believe it's a message for this church as a whole. He said, you need to return to what? Your first love. You need to return to your first love. You need to fall back in love. You need to fall passionately in love with Jesus Christ. And as um, you bow your head and you close your eyes, I want to I ask you that. Are, are you passionately in love with Jesus Christ? He left you for one purpose, and I promise you, I promise you it wasn't for yourself. It wasn't for myself. I, that's the only reason he left us. Otherwise, he'd have took us on. He left us to fulfill this mandate. And it's always been God's plan to use man to fulfill his plan. It's always been his heart. It's always been his heart. And here's what Jesus told the disciples. This is a message for all Christ's followers. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I just want to read this and you... You listen to it. And if you're a child of God, I want you to ask God, God, how am I fulfilling this mandate? How am I fulfilling it, God? How am I fulfilling it? God, am I allowing you to equip me? If you're, if you're allowing God to equip you, God bless your heart. God bless Your reward is literally out of this world. You're going to get blessings here. But I'm just telling you, you fall in love passionately with Jesus and you serve him faithfully. God sees. God sees what even man doesn't see. You be encouraged, child of God.
But if you're not and you're just complacent and you're just wearing the name and the title, but it's pretty evident by looking at your consistency, by looking at your servanthood or lack thereof, or by looking at your checkbook, it's pretty obvious who you're worshiping. I'm going to ask you to let God do a work in you. I'm going to ask you to say, God, I want to be all in. He'll rock your world. He'll rock your world for his glory. And you can glorify him. Jesus came and said to them, his disciples, and all disciples to come, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, as you're going, as you're going, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. And then he said, Behold, I am with you to the end of the age. To the end of the age. So just ask the Spirit, Spirit of the living God, what is it? What is it you're saying to me? What am I worshiping? Who am I worshiping? What adjustments do I need to make in my heart and my life? And tell him, if this is your heart's need, tell him. Say, God, I'm tired of playing. I'm tired of playing a game. Where down the road, I can't even remember the story. I'm tired of chasing the things of the world. I'm tired of getting more passionate about other things, God, than I am about you. Tell him, say, Holy Spirit, if this is your heart's desire and you want to return to your first love, say, Holy Spirit of the living God, I'm returning to you, Lord Jesus. You are my first love. Forgive me for placing other gods, other idols above you. I want to serve you, Lord Jesus. I want to, I want to be a part, Lord, of this membership, God. I want to be a part of the movement, Lord, of your church. I will, I will serve you. I will share. And God, I'll be all in, Father God, in every area of my life. A, a true worshiper of you, Father God. In Jesus' name I pray. Maybe you're here today with every head bowed, every eye closed, and you say, man, I've never done any of that, but I want to. And you sense the Spirit of God speaking in that still small voice to you, saying, I died for you. I love you. Hell is your destination for eternity. And I don't want you going there. I want you receiving my perfect sacrifice, Jesus, as the end. And you're ready to do it. You're ready to go all in and, and, and follow the response the Spirit's drawing on your heart. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Him. Just pray this. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned many times. And I want you to know I'm sorry for all my sins. I'm inviting you into my heart, my life, in response to your drawing on my heart by the Holy Spirit. And I'm asking you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And I will live for you no matter the cost. And I will follow you as others have today baptism and be about the work of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, let's stand very respectfully.